Hello and welcome to the Complete Geeks Podcast, episode 11. And I am joined here by Bob. Hey, hey. What's going on today? Not a whole lot. Ready to get this shit started. Yep, today's going to be a special episode. We're not going to be joined by Toast today. And so Bob and I are going to take off our clothes, go back in time like the Terminator, and visit the good old year of 1999. Do-do-do-do-do. And... What are we going back to, Bob? We are going back to the good old days of our old asses and talking about the Dreamcast. Yep. Yep, 20 years. Um, I would say there's a lot of people out there that have a real fond memory of the Dreamcast, although it was extremely short-lived. Still have one hooked up, sitting right underneath my television. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how often do you go back and play it? Uh... Not as often as I like, but I definitely, it's definitely hooked up, fired up, ready to go. If I decide that I want to play a random game of Crazy Taxi, you know, the actual good version of it, not one of these shitty ports. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have the original music. Yeah. But we'll go over kind of some facts about the system. Um, kind of kind of a different time. It came out in Japan in 98, and... Essentially, a full year later, it released in North America, and then two months later, it was in the UK. But released September 9th, 99. It was big deal with the advertising. It was Sega's relaunching after the complete failure of the Saturn. Yep, nine nine ninety nine. I remember that. Yeah, they they at least didn't go, it's out now. Yeah, yeah like the Saturn. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise, it's out. <laughs> We're going to try to compete with the PlayStation for yeah. more money. <laughs> yep, came out. It was, I think it was $200 was the retail, which Correct. was, I think, on par with what the Nintendo 64 was when it came out. Yeah. But... Um, kind of what I wanted to go over was, what when was the first time that you heard about the Dreamcast? Because obviously we didn't have the extent of the internet. It was there, but not... I'm pretty sure it was in like EGM or one of those gaming magazines back then because by the time I heard about it, it was already out in Japan or just about to come out in Japan. And they were showing off, you know, compared to the Saturn, this little slick white console. And they were like, this is Sega's next new thing. And I was like, oh, that's neat. And they were, they were when they talked about having a screen inside the controller, I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? I was like, oh my God, this is a technical, this, is a, this thing's so fucking technically advanced. I mean, it it promised the world. Um, mine was EGM as well. Okay. I remember I was f- flying on a plane to Albany, New York, because hmm. my parents had this bright idea: we're gonna buy a bed and breakfast, and we're gonna do that for a living. Holy that, shit! Really? That, That's weird. Thank, that thank God did not pan out. Oh, <laughs> so. But organics B and B. I remember being on the airplane, opened up the magazine, and there was a image of I think it was NBA Two K. And it was this small, tiny, like, one-by-one thumbnail. And it just yep. said below it, it said, the polygon count in this basketball, in this clip, is more polygons than, like, what whatever was on PlayStation for the entire screen. Yeah. And I was, was like, I was like, are you kidding me? Ew. And then I remember getting all close to the picture. I'm like, holy shit, I can see the little dimples on the ball, the grip. There was, there was definitely times where I was seeing it in magazines, and they were showing pictures of like Sonic Avenger and things like that. 
I just looked at it and was like, this is bullshit. There is no way games can look this good. Absolutely not. There is no way. And then finally seeing it in person, it was actually better than what I ever anticipated. Yeah, and I was, I was a Sega kid growing up. I mean, I had an original NES, and then I switched over to the Genesis. Thought thought that was the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, growing up in school, it was just 50-50 across the board. Right. But after the Saturn, the Saturn killed me. I had a 64 at the time, and I was like, I want Sega to be back. Right. And with the Saturn, too, I I got a place, I got a 64 first, and then I got a PlayStation later on because I got really into, like, I was into RPGs before, but mm-hmm. the quality of RPGs that were being put out on the PlayStation was just bar, bar none better than anything that I have ever seen before, and the Saturn was coming out and I knew a few people that had the Saturn, but knowing how expensive it was and there really wasn't a whole lot of games where I just told myself like, man, I really need a Saturn. So the Saturn was just a blip in my radar. And then once I started seeing what the Dreamcast was and I was like, this is it. I'm going back to a second console. This thing is really exciting. Yeah. I remember not, I didn't have a lot of interaction with the Saturn, but yeah. I remember, I think it was Sega Knights that came out and it had that special yeah. controller. And it takes so much of what the Dreamcast design is in that. Yeah. Shit, I, I own a Saturn. I own a modded Saturn. And I can just burn games to it when I want and I still don't fucking interact with the thing. <laughs> <laughs> there's some people, I know there's some people that you can just unsubscribe now because I will tell you and burst your bubble or retro friends, the Saturn is not that great of a console. No. <laughs> no. There's a there's a handful of good games for it, and that's pretty much it. Oh, and those terrible cases. Oh, fuck those cases. Those things can... That's like when they... What was it? Panzer Dragoon Saga? It was fucking four <laughs> discs, and yeah. instead of giving you a nice case and held everything in place, it's like, here's some discs in some envelopes. <laughs> yep. And so, outside of seeing it in EGM, what was your first interaction with it in person? The first interaction with it in person was... There's a local flea market here. It's called the Patapsco Flea Market. It's on Patapsco Avenue uh-huh. in Baltimore. And there was a kiosk. And it was one of those like shady-ass kiosks that they had like a little cart out front. And they were, had a couple of TVs hooked up to it. But they would sell like all kinds of weird stuff. You remember like the video reader, the video card for uh, for like the PlayStation where you can play like VCDs and play modded games and stuff like yep. that. Yeah, they used to sell those kind of things. But right in the front... I remember walking over there and they had, it was later in the, it was well after the Dreamcast lost in Japan and they had Soul Calibur playing and it was on a Japanese Dreamcast. And I was like, it was in August. I was like, holy shit, what is this? And they were just like, this is the second Dreamcast. This is the next big thing. And this is Soul Calibur. And I remember Soul Calibur seeing it in the arcades and it looked, this thing that was running, it blew it out of the water. Like yeah. the Dreamcast was just a monster. Like compared to the even now, if you look at the arcade version and look at the Dreamcast version, I was just like, "Holy shit!" I asked them if I could play with a the controller. They were, like, "Yeah, pick it up, look at it." And I next thing you know, I'm sitting there playing it for like 35 minutes. My mom's sitting there looking for me because <laughs> I just got <laughs> fucking lost in this game. And from then on in, that was like a month or so before the Dreamcast launch. I was like, "I'm getting the money at 15 years old. I'm getting the money, and I'm buying this, and I'm gonna buy every game that I can for it." Yeah. How about you? Um, I was actually up in Jackson, Michigan at the time. It was where I was born, but kind of moved yeah. back and forth from there. But I was at the mall and 
going going back to when this was, I was out of Babbage's. Oh shit. And I went in there. I think I was getting something for the PlayStation. And then I turned around, I was waiting in line and I saw the kiosk for it. And it was ready to rumble boxing was on it. Oh man. And I, d- I didn't follow like the whole launch lineup or anything like that, but I saw this game and I'm like, I thought it was a cutscene. Yeah. And I'm like, the boxers, nobody was playing it, so the boxers were just going back and forth talking shit. And I was like, what is going on here? And so I saw it was coming out soon. And that was the first console I ever bought on my own. Same. It was the very first. I. I remember showing my brother in a Toys R Us, like the kiosk had Sonic Adventure playing and showing him solidified. And he, he just looks at me and he's two years older than me. He's looking at me like, you're going to buy this, right? And I'm like, what, what the fuck do I got to buy? And he was like, <laughs> oh, you know, he's just looking at me like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to get this because this looks awesome. I don't play that many video games. So I'll definitely play this. And I'm like, man, fuck you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I saved up the money and. I it wasn't I didn't buy it on launch day, but I know they were selling out everywhere on launch day. I got mine. And, I think it was around November. Yeah, I got mine around two weeks after launch. I called up my local Best Buy, and I just asked him on a whim. I was like, "Do you guys have any Dreamcasts in stock?" And he was like, "Actually, we just got a shipment in, and we have about six of them." And I'm just like, "Holy shit! Holy shit! Holy shit!" I was like, "Can you hold one?" And he was like, "We can't hold it for you." Luckily. Maryland being a small state, I was about five minutes away from a from a Best Buy. So I convinced my mom to drive me all the way down to Best Buy. I paid for it 200, 200 and some change in cash and walked out two weeks after launch with a brand new Dreamcast. Yep. Man, I, I still remember back, back in the heyday of Sega. Sega had some of the best commercials that were on TV. And yep. they even brought that back for the Dreamcast. I don't know if you remember, but it, I thought... I think the tagline was it's thinking. Yep. They had like all these weird gritty commercials and you're like, what the hell is going on? And it, it, it reminded me of like, kind of like Wreck-It Ralph in a way where it had every game character in this room interacting with each other. Yeah. It was super surreal. It was, it was definitely something that you didn't see back then, especially because with Sony and Nintendo being, not like it is now where they're like sort of symbiotic relationships. They were very separate. And so they had their own ad campaigns. And so Nintendo was like kind of edgy, but they still had, you know, Mario and stuff like that as the forefront. And Dreamcast comes along with these weird quirky commercials that just to try to get you into thinking what it is. And I remember the first commercials, they didn't show you anything, what the console looked like or anything. They just nope, showed was... you commercial. Yeah. Just these weird commercials. And they were just like, it's, it's thinking. And they would just show the swirl. <laughs> yep. Yep. And But, yeah, I mean, another thing that was crazy about that time, too, is I think a lot of people in our generation realized the significance of the Dreamcast. But coming from later ages, especially when you're going from, like, PS2 to PS3, like, those are understandable. But you're talking, most of the people were PlayStation fans, and most of the, and you had the N64 niche, but... Going from even the N64 to doubling it and going to this ultra high resolution for its time. Bit, yeah. yeah, this 128 bit console and just doubling everything that came out, it was incredible. You were releasing arcade ports that were either just as good as the arcade, 
if not better than the arcade. And it was fucking mind blowing, especially when you got it, when you actually got the console or actually saw it in hand and you can, you can hold it in the palm of your hand. It's still a rather small console, even compared to, even compared to certain things like the GameCube and things like that, even though they're higher yeah. bit, but it's still not that big of a console and coming from the Saturn, it was a huge difference. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's solid compared yeah. for the Dreamcast compared to the original PlayStation. PlayStation, yeah. I mean, the quality. This felt like the real deal. Yeah, the yeah, because especially now, if you feel a PlayStation, and back then you can imagine, you know, because it was new tech and stuff, but a PlayStation feels very cheap. Even it feels very cheap. This thing was everything was packed in tight in terms of the, the way the board set up. Even if you take one apart. You can see how everything is crammed together without overheating and without going over and causing any kind of major screw-ups with it. It's just, it's a very sleek and good-looking console. Now, what were some of the first games that you picked up? I picked up Soul Calibur, Blue Stinger, Sonic Adventure. I think those are my first three. Oh, no. What happened was, okay, so, what was it, Midway? Midway had an issue in the beginning with their games where like the first pressings of the games they weren't when you burn a cd it wasn't finalized correctly so like Mm -hmm. the first batch i think it was hydro thunder ray to rumble blue stinger and there was another game it was midway and another company got affected by it it was uh like i said blue stinger hydro thunder mortal kombat gold ray and ray to rumble boxing were the ones that were really that people knew about so I bought a copy of Blue Stinger first because I'm a sucker for action adventure games, and I get it home and it doesn't work. Oh. I take it, I take it, yeah, it didn't find, it didn't. All it does is just do a loop. It just does a boot loop. So it would boot, it would get into the Sega logo. It looks like it's gonna boot, and then it would reboot again. So I took it back, and one of the best decisions I ever made. I decided I wasn't gonna get Blue Stinger right yet. I bought Soul Calibur, and that was all she wrote. Yeah. So yeah, my uh, two, my two were Sonic Adventure and Soul Calibur. Yeah, Soul Calibur was the one to have. Sonic Adventure was the one to sh- show it off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The yeah. level is still iconic. It's still one of the best moments in gaming. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you? and the whole fact that that whole scene, contr- that's probably the best controlling part of that game, and yeah. everything is so ass-backwards in it. Right. How about, were there, were those the first two that you bought, or what did, what did you buy first? Uh, Soul Calibur, Sonic Adventure, and then NFL 2K. Nice. NFL 2K was another magical one because I remember being in a Costco and seeing it play on like one of the big four by three fucking projection televisions. And my mom caught a quick glimpse of it and she thought that was actually a football game play. She actually asked me, she was like, who's yep. playing today? I'm like, mom, that's a game. Holy shit. <laughs> and the, what I love about too, the Dreamcast is NBA 2K is one of the biggest franchises around now. And mm-hmm. they started right there doing football. Yep. yep. And there's just so many there's so many good moments with the Dreamcast. I remember I remember showing my brother he was cool with Sonic Adventure, but once I showed him showed him Soul Calibur, we end up once <laughs> he like called all of his friends. Next thing you know, there's like fifteen or twenty people in my house and somebody went out and scoured around and bought me a second controller just so they could play Soul Calibur. I didn't have the money for a second controller. And they were like, If we can play this, can I buy you a second controller? I'm like, Yeah, that's fine. So they <laughs> my brother's friends who at the time I wasn't the cool kid to them, I was just his little brother. They end up buying me a second controller just so they could play Soul Calibur together. Uh, speaking of second controller, the Dreamcast also went to a 
next level of having some of the worst third-party controllers out there. Oh my god, that big fucking red one. What was that? <laughs> the Mad Cats? Yeah, the Mad Cats one, that big bulky one that actually made you almost come like you were coming down on the controller and the That's I mean that that went beyond what the Duke was. Oh yeah, they, kids these days complaining about OG Xbox controllers. <laughs> fucking, that thing was fucking monstrous. Yeah, there was and then yeah, because they you had that issue, and then our light guns here were really shitty. Yep. Because, and this goes, a lot of people talk about, unfortunately, talk about like school shootings and things like that. But it actually affected this as well. That Sega Japan actually, because Columbine happened, they refused to release the first party light gun here for House of the Dead. Yep. And so, or House of the Dead too. So Mad Cats and what was it, Nico had to step in. And release, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, they had to release third-party light guns for it, and they fucking sucked. Both of them suck compared to the original. And the messed up part is, the Dreamcast one, if you look it up now, it doesn't look like a gun. It looks like a phaser, like a Star Trek phaser. And it is actually region-locked to oh, not shit. play. Yeah, Did it's, it's region-locked not to play on our consoles. So if you try to play it with an American copy of the game, it will not play. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, House, House of the Dead 2. Yeah, that was a pretty big launch one as well. Yeah. Uh, there was That whole entire launch was... The whole launch for the Dreamcast, the amount of games, the the differences of games outside of, like, a regular RPG was just absolutely incredible. And then everything looked good. Yeah, and there was just a lot of different experiences. Um, going back to, I mean, game that... I don't know how Capcom has not brought it back. Power Stone. Oh my god, Power Stone. Everybody's like, Smash Brothers is the real multiplayer game. Fuck that. Power Stone was first. And Power Stone was absolutely mayhem. Yeah. The closest thing we ever got to, like, it, not even HD version of it, they released it for the PSP. And I'm just like, guys, you would have a real big hit on your hands if you release this game now. It'd be absolute mayhem. Yeah. Dreamcast, yeah, had one and two on there. Yep. Um, another thing is, I mean, t- total sales for the console was just a little over nine million units. Yep. That's pretty, uh, pretty abysmal. Yeah, and I, yeah. I remember after having the console, and oh, I, I would just deny how, <laughs> how bad it was selling. I'm like, oh no, 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 they're just doing price, price cut to. Yeah. Get stuff moving. They just want to make sure that everybody has one. That's all. Uh, and then when it got down to what ninety nine dollars. Yep. Oh. Yeah, it was a it was a sad time then. I, and especially from our end, I remember going into a store and actually having to buy an import VMU from like my local shop because I couldn't find a VMU stands for Visual Memory Unit, which is their memory cards. That's how you got the little screen on the controller. I couldn't find one. I actually had to buy an import one and pay an exuberant amount of money for it because they were so hot. And now it's to the point now where you could buy one brand new, complete in a box, like all the different colors and everything for like under 10 bucks off of eBay. Yeah. Before it was, those things were big money. They were super hot. Yeah. And I remember, I'm pretty sure I'm going back right of being like Target and Best Buy in my area. That as soon as they started doing heavy heavy discounts on them, that was prime real estate, and they weren't even putting them on the shelves. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, they were pulling them and getting them out of there. Oh, yeah. So even even that they were still alive and selling, you just couldn't find anything for it. Yeah, because especially later on in life, if you some of the earlier Dreamcast games are rare and can be pricey, but then if you look at a lot of the later end ones, they can get really, really expensive because of the fact that, like you said, some of them either saw very little shelf life or didn't see a shelf at all and just got clearance out as soon as either they got them in or they were only there for a couple months. And, you know, we'll talk about the elephant in the room. The th- reason why was because of the PlayStation 2. Yep. And another thing, going back to the Dreamcast, that was kind of on the page of first console that I bought and first console that I really got obsessed with. Mm-hmm. I subscribed to the Dreamcast magazine to get the demo yep. disc every month. I also, it was the first console that I actually bought import games for. Yep, it was the first console I got import games for. The first console I figured out how to use a boot disc. Yeah, I had the, uh, oh, what was it? The Game Shark? Yeah, I had the Utopia boot disc. Oh, yeah. One with the the fucking floating reindeer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and explain the process of playing a region locked game on the Dreamcast. So, pretty much, it was super, super simple. There was no modification necessary. Up until a certain point with the Dreamcast, like the later on Dreamcast, they figured it out. But by the time they figured it out, the Dreamcast was well and was well. You already have one foot in the grave. So all you did was pop the system open. Now you, I'm literally just the disc tray. You put the disc in, whether it be the Game Shark or the Utopia boot disc, and you would boot it up. And with the Utopia boot disc on my end, it would have a little reindeer that would float around and it would just tell you, please insert disc. Please insert disc. So it tricked the Dreamcast into thinking even when you opened it up that it was still running. So you would just open it up, swap discs, no special springs or anything like that. Like with the original PlayStation, put the yeah. disc in, close it, and it would just boot up. I still remember reading that. I think it was, might have been the original IGN site. I think it was still mm-hmm. N64 at that point, but <laughs> go, going on there. And, okay, this, this is what you need to do. And I did it for the first time. I'm like, holy shit, that actually worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's really funny because we've seen, being our age, we've seen the whole uh, like evolution of going from super region locked and super restrictive all the way now till I could buy any game I want and 99.9% of the time it is region free. I'll just pop it into my PlayStation and it just goes, or my yep. Xbox. Back then, everything was so region locked because they were so afraid that they were going to lose out on sales and had a lot of trade restrictions and stuff, so... Everything was region locked. I mean, to the point where, what was it, Dino Crisis? I think Dino Crisis, even the Dreamcast port does it too. Where if you try to, if the game actually knows whether or not you're trying to play on a different system, and it will, regardless of boot disc or not, it will bring up, it will bring up uh, like a paragraph in Japanese, and it'll have a big, you know, like Ghostbusters like stop sign through it, telling you, telling you like, hey, you can't do this, you can't play this. What are you doing? And it was just super restrictive and you had to come out with all these wacky ways or modifications to figure out how to play a lot of these import games. And it's, it's one of those things where like the old person in me is really frustrated because back in my day, you didn't have to, we didn't have, we couldn't just fucking pop in a disc, but then I'm also happy because there's certain things that are released in Europe that are only physical that are digital here. So I'm like, Oh cool. I can just order from Amazon UK and have it shipped to my house. Now, going back, we kind of touched on the launch, overall console. 
let's get into kind of what the weirdness of this console and just all of the experimental things that they did. Oh, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll start. You want to start with the controller? Yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, first of all, the controller's a weirdo because it the cord comes from the bottom. That's number one. Because the top of it has two ports. And those ports are for the VMU, where, like I said, the memory card before, where you could pop it into the front. And any game that you're playing would give you some kind of logo or some kind of visual representation of what you were playing. And then the port behind it, which is the same exact port, you can either A, put another memory card in, or B, you could put a rumble pack in. And then also it was a console where everything was sort of backwards compared to the PlayStation because by the time then you had the DualShock and everybody and the N64, everybody had the D-pad above it. Well, the Dreamcast almost, it's almost akin to modern consoles now where the D-pad was below the joystick. And the joystick, remember the joystick had those weird, like, grippy thumb things on it because it was a hard plastic one. It wasn't rubberized. Yep. It was yep. not a comfortable stick. No, it was not. You would definitely grind out a couple thumbprints after a while. And then it had the bright colored buttons on it and the nice squishy triggers. It was definitely almost like a prototype of what was to come of what we have now. Yeah. And Yeah, and then, yeah, it was... It, it was it was a weird ass controller, but it was fantastic. <laughs> and the and the whole concept of the VMU, this mm-hmm. was going back to when what was it, the Virtual Pets Digimon, yep. That you could you could pull out this. Some games you might have an interactive pet on there. Some you might be able to manage your inventory while you're not playing the game. Yep. It was just it was strange, but it was the greatest thing. Yeah, the the VMU was. I still I still have one hooked up sitting there on my on my uh on my stand next to me like my just like my regular stand next to me when i'm sitting on the couch because ein has uh has little mini games loaded up on it and you can still play those little mini games and if back in the day you used to be able to trade files with people you know you that's right connect, you'd be able to connect two of them together and trade files and then like you said you know like the tamagotchis and stuff like that had sonic adventure had little digital pets uh skies of arcadia had a mini game that you would find these little moonfish and then you would give them back to the character in game. It was just, there were so many fucking cool things with it. It was just, it was really neat. You were able to view all your files and delete them while you weren't on the actual game. While you weren't actually on the dreamcast, you can actually edit the files down and things like that. Now curious, just on your VMU, you said you still have one loaded up. Mm -hmm. Have you had to replace the internal battery on it? Well, luckily for the, for the Dreamcast, for the VMU, it just it takes CR2032, which is a watch battery. Yep, yep. But those things fucking gobble batteries like nobody's business, even when it's in sleep mode. <laughs> it's, yeah. And then what was cool was, like I said, with the VMU, you had a lot of logos and stuff like that. But I remember specifically Resident Evil 2. I lost my shit because Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3, it actually gave out your statistics in terms of what your health was and how many bullets you had before you had to reload. That's right. On on the actual screen, you were able to actually watch it live. It was like the first like real interactive thing where you're like, "Holy shit! Like this is great." Dream Resident Evil Two is Resident Evil Two on the Dreamcast is still my go to version of that game. All right, now getting on to the controller, we'll get on over to the console. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the major thing with this was I had the fifty six K modem. Oh yeah, 
and also was the first console to my knowledge that supported a VGA out. Yep. One of the yeah, one of the first ones that supported it natively, yeah. And it was not easy and it wasn't not cheap to get an adapter for that. No, it wasn't, but if you were able to do it, it's still it, fucking glorious. Yeah. It plays it and that's where we talk about with Dreamcast that it's still back then it was still a revolutionary console. You're talking about consoles that were just catching up to it, this already had it. You need a 56K modem, boom, already built into the console and built into the price. You didn't have to buy an extra modem or anything. On top of that, the VGA out was the native 480p. And so if you got a VGA box and hooked it up to a computer monitor, it a game that already looked really good looked even better. Blew it out of no the water. Late, yeah, yeah, with no latency or anything. It was, it was insane. I... I was able to get a cheap VGA box and I had an old IBM fucking monitor and I actually kept it like next to my television because even though I had a 32 inch television and I had a fucking, what was it? Like a, like a 15 inch monitor back then. If that, like a 13 inch monitor, I played my Dreamcast games on a 13 inch monitor because even though, you know, you think like, Oh, it's on a smaller screen. So it looks better. But just the way it looked and how everything ran because the, you know, a monitor obviously has more, has more scan lines than a television does, so it just looks super crisp. Yep. Yep. Did you ever play on a monitor or anything, or no? I did one time. My buddy had the adapter for it. Um, He brought it over. I actually had a, I think it was a 17-inch Dell monitor at the time. I think when my parents upgraded, I think the monitor itself was like $800. Just different times. Right. Uh, I, I remember that big giant tube monitor when I finally got rid of it, all like 70 pounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of wraps up the console. Other than that, um, had the four ports. Mm-hmm. Took that straight from the 64. Yep. And then um, another thing that kind of cracks me up going back to it now is Crazy Taxi. Crazy Taxi yeah. is the first game that I remember that had major advertising throughout the game. Oh yeah, KFC um, Pizza Hut. Obviously, you had God. You're gonna you're gonna help me here, Bob. But what was yeah. the game for Genesis that it was all McDonald's based? Joe and Mac. Uh, a McDonald's based game. I, I think it was actually like Ronald McDonald and something. But yeah, during during Crazy Taxi, you're just running back and forth Pizza Hut KFC the entire time. Um, yeah, one of the greatest soundtracks for at least our Mc- age. McDonald's Treasure Land Adventure. Oh, that is not the game I'm thinking of, but oh, I this, need to I get mean, it this now. Is, this is straight up fucking... I'm looking at a picture of it now. It is straight up like, I'm Ronald McDonald. Don't forget to eat your McDonald's. To <laughs> like, it's like, it is like, holy shit. <laughs> but yes, Crazy Taxi was... Crazy Taxi, because... And that... Yeah, Crazy Taxi was crazy. Um, it was, It was definitely... That was also very surreal, too, because you didn't see a lot of games outside of, like, something stupid, like fucking Pepsi Man or something like that, that actually had, ad, you know, advertising for real-life things. And I want to say the actual ports later on actually has all that removed. Yeah. I don't think, yeah. And that's the reason why, that's another reason why I have my Dreamcast hooked up. I, Yeah, I'll play the quote-unquote HD version of those games, but... Another thing with Crazy Taxi 2 was just like Tony Hawk, it had a lot of licensed music by Offspring and who was the other band? Bad Religion? Oh, 
yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And yeah, uh, when they released the ports, I remember reading it and they just they released an article and they're like, none of the music is there. I'm like, why the fuck is this a thing then? <laughs> oh, now I can redeem myself. It's Global Gladiators was the game I was thinking of. What the shit? What is Global Gladiators? It's a fantastic game. It's basically um, they're uh, using Super Soaker uh, fit 150s and mm-hmm. they're just spraying slime everywhere. It was made by Virgin. Oh, to go off on one of our little uh, typical... <laughs> holy shit, yeah, see that? Global Gladiators. Um, one of our little Bob Organic tangents. Have you ever looked up the price of original Super Soakers these days? Uh, no, but I imagine it's awful because I see them pop up in the stores and I'm like, yeah. these aren't the same. Yeah, so we were all talking about it at work and I have a couple people that are younger than me and then a couple people that are my age. And, you know, we're just like... My my one coworker, he was like, "You remember Super Soakers?" And I'm like, "Fuck yes, I do. Who doesn't?" And literally, a couple people chimed in, and they were like, "We don't." And I'm like, "Man, you motherfuckers!" <laughs> so we had to show him pictures and everything, and it's fucking glorious. On, but then we started. I was he was like, "Can you look them up on eBay? How much they go for?" And then I started looking them up on eBay, and I'm like, "Holy shit, these things grow for stupid money!" Oh yeah, pump pump them so hard, you feel like they're gonna break. Then the yep. the molds were so bad that they cut into your hands. Yep, and then you let it go, and most of the time it's just like outgassing. So it was a, yeah, and a stream of water. <laughs> but anyway, off topic. Back. All on right, topic. let's yeah. let's get back into second phase of Dreamcast. Second net. Oh. Side note: couldn't get on second net because I had AOL. Ooh. Yep. So this one's all you. I uh. So the reason why I say that is because if you were using any kind of third party essentially software to get on the internet like net zero or aol or anything very, you very had common to, at the time right you had to go through them to get connected to the internet so when you would dial into sega net it was literally a stopgap. it would get to that pretty much quote-unquote loading screen and wouldn't be able to do anything so you had to almost what was it like internet directly from essentially the phone company to get on with the internet yeah, uh, there was a lot of like third-party providers way back when. Yeah. I think the internet group we had at the time was called Modem Pool. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah, SegaNet for me, kind of during this time, my buddy and I used to go on this website. It was called, I think, GameTraders.net. And all it was was a giant chat room, and you would create a profile, list all the games you have, and you basically barter and trade games. Yep, it was old uh, old news groups and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So when this came out, I ended up trading a guy. I can't remember what it was. Some older games that I had, but I got uh, the NFL Two K One, and I got the keyboard and the disc okay. for a second net. So I remember I ran. I think it was like a twenty foot long Ethernet cord from. <laughs> you mean a you mean a telephone cord? Yeah, yeah. And so I ran, ran it over, got it all plugged in, launched the game up. I remember getting into a game. It actually worked really, really good, no problems. And all of a sudden, I get a message from the guy that pops up on the screen. I was like, holy oh. shit. This is this is the real deal. And from that point, I was pretty much hooked. I nice. really only played these sports games online. Um, the... The other game that I got into towards the end of the life cycle was Quick Arena. 
Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, because that was super. That was super end of life cycle. Yeah, and that yeah. was it was a blast. Um, Fantasy Star. I was I wasn't a huge Fantasy Star guy. There's still private servers for Fantasy Star. I read that. <laughs> yeah, there's uh yeah, there's quite a few private servers for it still that people still run and play the game. They just they you know second that's not a thing, so people just boot up into private servers and they just keep on playing the game. The game still runs to this day. That's yeah. one. That's one of the reasons why the. So later on in the Dreamcast lifecycle and towards the end, they actually released the Ethernet modem that you would. So the modem popped out. Yep. It didn't any, take any modifications or anything. You would just grab it and it would actually just slide out and you could slide the Ethernet one in. And that thing goes, that thing still goes for stupid money because a lot of Dreamcast enthusiasts want their Dreamcast hooked up to the internet. Yep. Because that was also one of the first consoles, yet again, revolutionary. One of the first consoles that actually had DLC. Yeah. So, yep. People complained about DLC becoming a thing when it was actually... Sega actually made it a thing. But it just wasn't paid DLC. It was just free little bitty content. Well, I want to I wanna go into next is kind of top games in your opinion. Oh, I, I, I won't hold it to a number. We tried to settle on a top five. It's, it's pretty much impossible. And... And that's part of the console's kind of nostalgia history. That in two years, I think there was over 700 games that they released. Something. It's, I, all together, I think it's that. I think in the U.S., it is, it is like 240 something within the U.S. It might be more than that. I might be wrong. So let me see. Dreamcast. I don't remember Dreamcast titles. Let's see. Yeah, especially towards the end, um, there was a lot of there's a lot of games that came out in rapid two hundred forty eight. Yeah, I would you know it was somewhere around there. A lot of games came out rapid succession towards the end, and those are some of the old, uh, pricier games. Yep. Yeah, but overall, compared to because I think Japan has way more than us, and so yeah, so it was two hundred forty eight here, and yeah, they have holy shit. Um, I'm looking on a website. PlayStation has 1,476 games for it. I believe it. Yeah. And, yeah, it was 200 and something. But I think that, I think in Japan they have way more than us. And then, actually, the UK has quite a number of exclusives that are actually one of the rarest games in the whole entire Dreamcast collection is uh, UK-based. It's still a two or $300 game. Wow. Yeah. It's actually a pretty good action adventure game. I have a burn copy of it because I'm not paying that fucking much for it. <laughs> well, so. why don't you start off on your list of uh Alright. Let's see. Alright, the top of my list is a weird game. It was a Capcom fighting game because they the Dreamcast, even to this day, is one of the champions of the fighting game genre. In terms of the way they ran, in terms of the way they looked. A lot of them are... Even the PlayStation 2 ported a lot of those games. Like Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Perfect example. But the port was really poor. So the Dreamcast version... It was really funny because... You saw the Dreamcast version take a dive. Price-wise. Mm-hmm. And then... they Because really, they released the PS2 port. And then people realized the PS2 port was really shitty. And then they end up... Bouncing back and going to get the Dreamcast port. And... You know, while they released it on PlayStation and PlayStation 3 and stuff like that, 
a lot of the effort to get the extra characters and stuff, they were already all unlocked from the start. So the PlayStation 3 port is not that great. And so pretty much the, one of the definitive versions of the game is on the Dreamcast. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, the n- number one for me is a, a robot fighting game called Tech Romancer. Yep. It's a giant fo- robot fighting game that is almost like a circle, like a 360-degree circle that's like uh, Soul Calibur. But it's not as free-flowing. You actually They're just like dodge maneuvers and things like that on a 3D plane. But, like I said, giant robot fighting game, able to get power-ups, used all kinds of different mechs and different robots and different monsters, had finishing moves, had ultra moves. It was just, I don't know, like, I bought it on a whim, and I bought this weird-ass game. I was working at Blockbuster at the time. I just got my first paycheck, and I was like, I'm going to buy this weird-ass game called Tech Romancer. And a buddy of mine, we used to both buy games every week, and we would pick one. And that was the game that he like looked at his game. And he's like, "This game fucking sucks. I wish I would have bought that one." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, second on mine is obviously Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur. Uh, my friends, my brother's friends, actually blew out a Dreamcast because they were playing it so much. Damn. Yeah, they actually like they were playing it so hardcore. They actually, I mean, a Dreamcast definitely was on way more than it needed to be. <laughs> um, third is Sonic Adventure. Sonic Adventure is so damn iconic. It's just it. It's, it moves Sonic. It moves Sonic through a three D plane. Even though you know some people will say that it might not be great, but for us, going from the Genesis to even the Saturn didn't get a really good Sonic game. To going to the Dreamcast, you're like, holy shit, here we are. You know. Yeah, three three D games were in a different time then. But yeah, the way that the controller worked with just a single stick, they yeah. did a pretty damn good job. Yeah. Uh, number four for me is Crazy Taxi. Crazy Taxi, yet again, another another damn perfect port that Sega was really good at. And it was just an overall fun game. That was definitely one of those games, like, you couldn't do multiplayer in it. But it, it was, we would just hand the controller off to each other and just listen to the same, listen to all the music over and over again, seeing who could beat each other's high scores. And just the franticness of it. There was no point in it except for getting people from point A to point B by any means necessary. Uh, just was, the the amount of rage of not reaching that target. Oh yeah, especially when you're coming right up on it. And it's like three, two, one. Oh, time's up. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and number five for me would be Shenmue. Nice Shenmue. Uh, Shenmue. I remember seeing it. I remember seeing it when the Dreamcast kind of launched. They showed videos of it, and that was definitely one of those games where you looked at it. It was almost like God of War now. Where you looked at it and you're like, that's bullshit. That game is not running like that. Nowhere near is it running like that. And then when I actually saw the Japanese version of the game, it was running at a higher resolution than what I remembered seeing it. And seeing all the lips, you know, seeing all the, you know, because we were coming from a time where everybody's face, yeah, we had voice acting, but everything was just a block texture. Or if you look yep. at 007, 007 didn't even fucking look like anything. Yeah, but sh- nobody's sh- mouth moved. There was not individual finger movements. There was not... And while it is a slow-paced game, for the time, it was one of the prettiest games I've ever seen. It I was mean, just... yeah, that was the first game I imported. Mm-hmm. Terrible, mm-hmm. terrible first imported game. I remember fuck just yeah, having... the whole thing's in fucking <laughs> Japanese. What the fuck? I just had hundreds of pages printed out of oh, go flipping through this dialogue. You were way more dedicated than me. My first import game was fucking Guilty Gear. <laughs> I had a fighting <laughs> game. It wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't 8,000 pages of dialogue. Yeah, it came in the uh, double disc, and it was in the cardboard sleeve. 
I don't know if you were better off, though, because the voice acting for Shamu was fucking terrible to the point yeah. where it's actually like a series staple of how bad it is. <laughs> You but I could find any sailors. But it was it was so it? cool in that game to be able to go in. Oh, I'm gonna get something out of the vending machine. I'm gonna play this old <laughs> Sega arcade game, or I'm just going to cruise around a forklift. That that <laughs> I keep on saying I keep on saying the word arcade perfect, but it was that, and that was another game where they put Super Hang On and what was it uh, Super Hang On and Space Harrier. Yeah into the fucking arcade and there was barely any loading times and it loaded up and there were perfect arcade versions of these games to the point where I got fucking addicted to Super Hang On. I'm still addicted to that game. If I see it in any kind of arcade or anything, I immediately have to play it. Gravitate just towards the music. it. Yeah, just I gravitate towards it. Just the music and everything just fucking sends me right towards it. But yeah, how, well, how about you get into your top five and then we'll talk about honorable mentions. Alright. Top five. I put... NFL 2K1. Obviously, oh, it's nice. the first real online experience on that. Remember when you can? Remember when that when the players got up and you can actually see their names on the jerseys and everything? That was. Oh yeah. Fucking, yeah, that was fucking incredible. And then you just anyway. convince yourself that their faces look like how they did in real life. <laughs> oh yeah, they're totally their face totally looks like a blob that has a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next one is uh, Power Stone. Mm. And then Quake Arena. Nice. Number two is Shenmue, and then the game that holds one of the strongest parts of my heart is Jet Set Radio, and I will not yeah. call I will not call it Jet Grind Radio. Uh, Jet Set Radio is just uh, that was music. that was the uh, second game that I imported and actually prepping for the show. I found a copy of it on eBay, and I'm pretty Sorry. tempted to go out and buy it. So I will say I don't know if it's still on the digital store or not, but that is one of the ports I will say for like PlayStation Three, that is a good port, because there wasn't any kind of licensed music or anything like that, so everything is intact and it looks a lot better than its original predecessors. But you have no problem if you decide to import it or you decide to order it off of eBay, you're still gonna fucking love it because that game, that game even till now, even till this day, is still one of the coolest games both visually and musically that i've played in a long you know in a long long while yeah i have it on the 360 um one of the things that just gets me with the import i still to this day i think it's one of my favorite cover arts for any game is the imported version all the all the graffiti all over it yeah it's all the graffiti and then it's just kind of the black and white image of the character that's the that's the only thing that like we we go into cover art one of the things that pissed me off with our cover art versus Japan's is Japan's was very simple and they just had at the top right hand corner, the top left hand corner, just an orange Dreamcast logo. Yeah, that little wedge. Yup, just to indicate that it was that it was there and that it was the little wedge. Us, we got this big white border, this big black border, depending on later on in its life, that just said Dreamcast and so it took up half the artwork. Or they just thought that America was stupid and they had to change the artwork around because especially Jet Set Radio is the prime example of it. Jet Set Radio for us is just all three of the characters on screen holding spray cans, but the Japanese yep. version has all this gorgeous graffiti artwork on it, and it's all these bright colors. It definitely popped. It was, but it was just like, why the fuck did we? Why do? Why did we do this? Why did we make this decision that is definitely <laughs> more off-putting than not? All right. Well, but, let's let's get into the honorable mentions. We'll just we'll just go back and forth with them. Talk we got uh, any input. Let's see. Honorable mentions for me would be uh well I'll start out with uh 
Resident Evil Code Veronica. Well, well played. That was yeah. That was another one seen in the magazine that I couldn't have dreamt how crazy that game would look over what they did on the PlayStation. Right. So, a couple fun facts about Resident Evil. All the dubbing. There's no Japanese dub for Resident Evil. It's all dubbed in English. In, and so it's like a hokey horror movie in Japan, essentially. So the only differences for the import version was the menus. I was really close and really tempted to import it, but I was like, no, I could just wait. It was one of the first games to come on a double disc for the Dreamcast. And in my head, I'm just like, holy shit, like, this this is on two discs? This game is that big that it's on two discs? I would never thought I would see a dual disc game for a Dreamcast because these games were significantly... A GD-ROM, which was the proprietary disc that the Dreamcast would be on, the Dreamcast games would be on, they would, they held a way more information than, uh, you know, a PlayStation disc. And so seeing two, I was like, man, this game's got to be fucking huge. And then you pop it in, and you get introduced to this gorgeous CG cutscene. Mm-hmm. You get locked in a cell, and the only thing you have is the lighter. And you light the lighter, and you actually see, like, the gleam off the wall. It was, like, the first time where you actually got to see, like, proper lighting effects. Yeah. And then you got to the actual voice acting, which was decent for the time. But then also for a Resident Evil game, the first Resident Evil game that ever had it, their all their lips moved and everything. And so it was just, the, it was the most, it was the coolest shit ever because it was the game that, a lot of the games for Dreamcast were the games that I imagined what they would actually look like if they were on a better console. And Code Veronica was the prime example of what a game would look like, especially a Resident Evil game, if it was on a better, more powerful console. Yeah, I still remember yeah. Code Veronica pissed me off so bad. It's the part of the game where you're in the back of the plane. Yep. Fuck and, I, and I think you have the fire arrows for the crossbow. And I did not have enough inventory to beat them. I was like, so, fuck. So two times in that game I fucked myself. One was that part. Two was actually at the last boss. Yeah. I didn't have enough ammo to kill the last boss. And so I had to start <laughs> all over again. So by the time then I became like a real stingy bastard. And... <laughs> and held everything off until then but yeah that that was that that game for me was just i remember day one it coming out and being there and saving up my money and buying it and just being blown away by it, playing it non-stop yeah that was that was the one that was yeah. weeks weeks i had a launch that i was just like all right counting down the days yep uh what's uh, what's your honorable mention right off the bat oh one of mine is going to be wwf royal rumble Oh shit! <laughs> that, that fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> it was a trash game. Oh, that's no trash in this day. <laughs> it's, it is so. W- it is so bad. I I remember. I think I got it like Target on clearance for might have been like fifteen dollars. Yeah. Oh, just played so. the played the shit out of it. See, it helped. It helped for me because I back in the day, back in those days in ninety nine two thousand, I worked at a blockbuster. So we would literally, when games would come out, we would literally, one of us would bring our Dreamcast in. And if we worked like a night shift or something, we would just hook it up to the television in the top right-hand corner. Just run, like, set it on a box and run AV cables up to the televisions. Do you remember how the televisions used to hang from the ceiling? Yep. Yeah, and you used to run an AV cable to it, like, right up against the register. And we'd just sit there and play games all night and just try them out. And I remember that being one of them. We were like, this game is fucking garbage. <laughs> Super and, garbage. And this is coming... I'll say the greatest console for any wrestling games, N64. Yep. Yep, because... Yeah, because that was the thing. Like, that... 
that was definitely one of those games where I was banking on like WCW versus NWO Revenge. Uh, what was it? WrestleMania 2000. I was like, oh Fuck yeah, 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 yeah. Here, we, here we go. We're gonna have these kick-ass like Ukes, uh, Ukes developed Japanese fucking wrestling games that are gonna be kick-ass. And then we get that piece of shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Fuck this game." All right, uh, what's what you got next? I would have to say, honorable mention for me would be Skies of Arcadia. Yep, had it on mine. Totally agree. Yep. Skies of Arcadia is probably even even to this day is probably one of the one of the top games that needs a port from the Dreamcast really really fucking badly because even to even now as a because I've been playing it recently. I played it maybe like three or four months ago. Yeah, I remember movie. you saying that. Yeah. Even even now, it still holds up. The way the game plays... Because yeah, the art like style is timeless. Way. Yeah, the art style is timeless. The, it runs on... And it's not like a typical old school like Square Enix RPG where it was like 2D backgrounds and you just run along the 2D background until you hit a random battle. It was actually 3D plane and so the dungeons were in 3D and... You can move around, then you would hit random battles and stuff. And it had a kick-ass color system, depending on you know what color your weapons were versus another enemy. They can either do more damage or do less damage, depending on what was what. And the the plot itself was really fun. The exploration, like I I was playing it in 2019 and still being like, you know what, this game is a lot of fun. And I feel it makes me sad that it's not ported to something else. But I definitely know it's. I think that's the number one most wanted game that people want a port of some way, shape, or form. Especially on the Switch. It would do so fucking well on the Switch right now. Yeah. Uh, that game, that game, because, I mean, it still uses the same thing. Like, they modernized it for the GameCube version. They modernized it. They tweaked a couple things, but they added, you know, the C-Stick actually moves the camera around 360 degrees. So, it has dual analog support. All the assets are there. It just needs a good upscaling. Yeah, that, that gave fond memories. I'm trying to remember when in the life cycle that that came out. Towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, because it was on the it was on that black list. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So they updated. Yep. What I'm talking about, uh, listeners at home, is that or at work is uh, when you look at the Dreamcast game, the first ones that came out had a white border on it that emulated the actual console itself, so it was like a white border. But, and they used to say Sega Dreamcast on the inlay of the CD, on the inlay of the CD uh, mm-hmm. where the disc hid. Later on, they switched them over to black, and they just called the they didn't call it the Sega Dreamcast anymore. They just called it the Dreamcast. Yep. Yep. There's a. How about you for your next one? Next one I have is a game that uh, utilized the controller port. Don't give me another shit one. Old Seaman. Uh, Oh man, oh, that's like right there. I don't know if that's shitty or not. Like, <laughs> that's fucking weird. Oh man, what was it, Leonard Nimoy? <laughs> yes. Yeah. See, Man was a game that it was just basically the evolution of a fish into a frog. Mm-hmm. You could use a microphone to interact with them. Mm-hmm. Didn't work well, but it was. It was just so weird. There were so many weird games that you had to play. Because it was like, yeah. this is the only place I can play it, and I I want to be able to show off these things. And it was that was one of those games, too, where you could tell it was towards the end, because the second was like, fuck it. Just, let's release a weird-ass <laughs> let's release a weird ass game where you observe a fish tank and use a microphone to talk to it. Yeah, and, and 
Mind you say that these fish had a human face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another fun fact about the game was that, you know, it's commonplace now to log into an MMO and do your dailies and things like that. And used to being able to log into a game every day. But this game didn't this game didn't use like a memory card save or anything. It just used the internal clock of your actual Dreamcast. So you had to log in every day to make sure that this thing was okay. And if you neglected it, it would die. Mm-hmm. And you had to start over again. And so it, it's it was definitely one of those things where if you forgot you were you possibly could have been fucked in terms of your weeks and months of playing it. Yeah. If anybody played it for that long. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't think a lot of people did after they were screaming, Seaman! Seaman! Yeah. <laughs> then Leonard Nimoy screaming back at you. Alright, what's next? Uh, Rayman 2. Oh, good one. Yeah, so Rayman 2 was... So the original Rayman came out for the PlayStation, and it was a side-scroller, and it was really cute, and it was like kind of sort of Disney cartoony, and, you know, Rayman, armless, legless weirdo with a just a floaty body but rayman 2 came out and a lot of people look at ubisoft and think of like going from like assassin's creed to assassin's creed 2 going from assassin's creed revelations to you know what was it assassin's creed was it origins yeah mm-hmm. and like holy shit you guys did this big jump but they literally went from a side scroller to one of the greatest 3d platformers ever made from going from Rayman to Rayman 2, and Rayman 2 coming out because it got ported to everything. But yet again, the Dreamcast being a 128-bit console... It looked great. And it, yeah, and it was even better looking than the PlayStation 2 version. The PlayStation 2 version didn't had frame rate issues and everything. It was just a really poor port. The, the Dreamcast version is still like the definitive version of that game, and it looks incredible. And having, you know, pseudo-voice acting with the weird sound effects and stuff like that was just... And the comedic spirit of it, it was... That was the first time, like, outside of Sonic Adventure where you felt like you were playing a cartoon. Yep. Yeah, so. good good call on that one. I remember getting that on demo disc and yep. just playing it over and over. Yeah, I bought it and was... I was just like, holy shit. I was like, I need... To, I Like you said, I played the demo and that was a prime example of, like, holy shit, I need to own this game because I can't play this demo enough. Well, All right, what else? the next Weird. one I have is uh-huh. the old Sega Classic Virtual Tennis. <laughs> so That game is so good. That oh. game, I remember just staying up till 5 in the morning playing the minigames. Yep. We, a, a buddy of mine, one of my best friends, he and I went over and we played the demo of it for like 6 or 7 hours straight of just going back and forth. We could play as only two people. Yeah, and which that was a game you could do that. It was so simple. Right. And it was just I still I mean, I own a fucking copy of it when I decided that, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna reignite my love for the Dreamcast and buy all my shit back. Um, after I sold it for a GameCube. I don't wanna talk about it. Um I went over <laughs> I went over and that was one of the first games I bought and I was just like I was and it was one of those rage moments where I bought it off of eBay and I bought it for like two ninety nine shipped. And I'm like, why the fuck is this magnificent masterpiece of a game only $3 shipped? I should be paying more for it. <laughs> and then I got it and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's a, definitely a $3 game. Yeah, I got I got that game. It was pretty early on when it came out. I, I started to see some rumblings of how fun it was. 
Yep. And if my memory serves me right, I think it is the first thing I ever bought off of Amazon. Oh shit, man! You really go back on Amazon. Yeah, I think I, I, think I because Amazon I I was in the middle of nowhere in Illinois at the oh, time okay. and couldn't find it anywhere. It was I don't believe it was a game that Sega thought was going to take off for him. Right. And I know they had what Virtual Tennis Two. I think they got the Williams sisters in it, but it just yeah, wasn't the yeah. same. I think that's I think that's actually when they transitioned to like actually calling it Two K. Yeah, Two K Sports. Yeah, yeah. They, now, I will say. Uh, Games that sports games wise that are terrible are the fucking baseball games for it. Oh, uh, World Series every, baseball! Everybody was so hyped for World pa- Series. Baseball Pedro Martinez were, was on the cover. Yup, they were thinking. Remember, because World Series baseball for the Genesis is a excellent sports game. Yep, fantastic. Big, Homer and Derby. If you're a big retro, yeah, if you're a big retro person, that is an excellent sports game. If, like next to RBI baseball for the Nintendo. Yeah, had all the classic NES. teams. Yeah. Yep. And then we got this piece of shit. And the first thing that you notice is that fielding is automatic. Yep. And you're like, why can't I control my outfielder? Why is he running away from the ball? Oh my God, I can't control this. This is terrible. And there was no way to modify it. And that game went from really exciting to this is a piece of shit within the day of its launch. Yeah, that was that was a big deal when they were coming out with the uh, MLB yep. game. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I guess we want to do one more. Yeah, one more is good. All right. Let's see. Uh, I would have to say Marvel vs. Capcom two. Ah man. Uh, that was the first. That was you went from Marvel vs. Capcom one that had like what was it, like thirteen or fifteen characters or something like that, and then you go to this monster that had fifty six. And, and and still a, a game series that needs to go back to their animation roots. I think that I think that Capcom should relinquish it to who is it? Arc System Works, the people that do uh, Guilty Gear and Blaze Blue and uh, stuff. Yeah, good and, call. Yeah, and Dragon Ball Fighter Z. I think Capcom should just let them go ballistic with it. Like, just do a do a in house development with them and team up and have them go ballistic and see what happens. Because I think that would probably be one of the greatest fighting games ever made. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah, gotten, it gotten just... so away from where they were. Right. But yeah, Marvel vs. Capcom two. It was it was crazy because you know Marvel vs. Capcom one was like the old school two D sprites on two D backgrounds, and it was very much like X Men vs. Street Fighter. You know, X Men Children of the Atom, where it was just a very I don't want to say generic, but just a very simple looking game compared to what it was. And then Marvel vs. Capcom two came out, and then you had these big two D sprites on actual three D moving backgrounds. And it did not affect the gameplay at all, other than the backgrounds were really, like, jarring, you know, compared to... Because they were yeah. actually, like, 3D and moving and stuff. You're like, oh, this is weird. But the game was gorgeous. The, you know, like I said, 56 full characters. And you actually worked to unlock them. So you would, you know, go through the arcade. You would go through, you know, verses and stuff like that. And you would accumulate points. And you would use those points to go over and buy the characters. And that's one of the reasons why I say that the other ports of it aren't that great. Because especially, I believe it's a PlayStation Three port, actually goes over and unlocks all those characters for you right off the bat. So, because it's more designed to play online than it is actually just playing it single player. So it doesn't give you. It's the same way Soul Calibur for those other consoles too. They they actually pulled a lot of the features that weren't that didn't necessarily need to be pulled, and so it was kind of bullshit. It, it, you're just like, okay, well, 
what's the point of playing this game if I don't want to play it online? Maybe I wanted to help unlock these characters, or maybe I wanted to play, like in Soul Calibur's case, the adventure mode. And so, even after all this time, you know, 20 years later, you're still looking at, you know, Marvel's Capcom 2 and Soul Calibur definitely are both, they're both definitive versions are still tied to the original console. They are, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Man, I don't even know if I want to do my last one. No. <laughs> what's, your, what's, your, what's your last one? My my last one is Dynamite Cop. Oh, man. It, <laughs> when, that and Zombie Revenge. When I played that game, I, I thought of it being as like the next leap of where Ninja Turtles the arcade game could have gone. <laughs> Yep. And I oh, and I and I think there's even shitty characters that, I well, there's one that I remember looking like a turtle too, but <laughs> I wouldn't doubt but it. But it but it is just a 3D brawler, um, pick up weapons, tables, whatever it is, and it's a shitty B movie pretty much. Yep, has a shitty film grain and stuff like that. Yeah. What was it? What was the first level you're fighting on a boat? Yep. Yeah, you yeah. Pa- you parachute in on the boat. Yeah, and then uh. Yeah, that one and Zombie Revenge were pretty much like the same engine, same engine brothers and sister, but only difference was one was one was a horror game and one was a one was a you're playing as the dynamite cop. That's right. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we don't we don't even have to jump into that too far. Um, let's let's go with you on kind of what killed things for Sega. Well, I mean. There was a, there was a lot of factors involved. I think, I think the main thing that killed Sega was the you had the PlayStation Two looming, and the PlayStation Two was coming out within two years of its life cycle. But there was a lot of factors involved in terms of what the PlayStation Two was doing. You, it's like it's like Sega almost gave, and I'm sure they were really far in development, but it almost gave Sega almost gave like just handed Sony a blueprint on. Here's how to murder Sega, and here's what to do with us. So everything that Sega didn't do, Sony did. So, you know, DVD was becoming a hot thing. Yeah, that well, that made the console. Right. Well, Sony decided to put a DVD player or make their, you know, games will run off of DVDs instead of a proprietary media. And it also made the Sony PlayStation 2 at $300 the cheapest DVD player on the market. Yeah, and so people were, yeah. So it was the cheapest DVD player on the market at the time, and it was a game console. So people were already chomping at the bit on that. And then you remember the old, the old thing that you know your parents used to ask you when you would tell them like, "Hey, I want this new console." The first words out of their mouth, "Oh, does it play the old games?" Mm -hmm. And this was actually the time where you can say, "Yes, it actually does. It plays PS One games." And it was like, "Oh, well, this is also a better bang for your buck because." Now your whole entire library of games before is now all nice, neat, and packed and condensed into one console instead of having two. And the Dreamcast wasn't doing that. And so when the PlayStation 2 came out, and then plus the brand of you know Sony PlayStation, everybody was hyped for it. And even though the launch titles were fucking atrocious, it's still... Wait, you didn't, you didn't like Smuggler's Run? Oh fuck you! Um, yeah, you have a Tekken Tag Tournament. I oh, played yeah. more of the bowling part of Tekken Tag Tournament than the <laughs> fucking Tekken Tag Tournament, and uh, and that's what that was a big thing that you know, as fantastic as a console that it was, those big features that it didn't come with or trying to that's where it was sort of behind. It didn't try to it stepped forward on the game aspect of it, 
but didn't try to step forward on the technology side of it. And that's where I think it sort of killed it was just, that was definitely the nail in his coffin. And then trying to compete with it. And Sony was just up and running, starting this thing. And then there was a lot of hype train stuff. You know, Sony had shortages of the PlayStation two. It came out during the holidays. Everybody wanted a PlayStation two. So it started becoming a thing uh, where it was the birth of the eBay movement. Yep. I pre-ordered my PlayStation two eight months in advance. And I was very fortunate to get mine because people were canceling pre-orders left and right. Yep. How about you? What do you think? What do you think killed it for you? Um, I, I think they, I mean, obviously coming out two years before the PlayStation 2, they got into the same rut that Nintendo's in, but Nintendo's learned that we need to do something significantly different. Right. And they were, whether they they moved on and did another console, they would have always been out of sync with what the new technology was. Yep. Um, they, at some point, by themselves two years here and there. Yep. But well, I mean, look at the the Saturn was a good point of it. You know, Sony was really big on making the PlayStation accessible for developers, and one of the things that you read about later on for the Saturn was that there was almost like a brick wall between developing for the Saturn and you know actually being able to get help to develop for it. Apparently, it was a nightmare to develop for, and that's why you didn't see a lot of ports coming from. You know, even on the PlayStation side, even though the games were already built, trying to translate to the dream or trying to translate to the Saturn was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But the Dreamcast was a little different because they, it was easy to get ports to it because there was actually an operating system used for Windows CE, so they were able to actually port games to it a lot easier because of that. And then so. outside of the competition with PlayStation, um, I mean, you could do a bootleg disc easy. That oh, that's dude. that's what the console became. Yep. And we Yep, that that is definitely I think the PlayStation two announcement was the was not the final nail in the coffin. I think once people realize that you can burn games to it and burn them without a mod chip and actually do it from your home computer made it so where it was game over. And perfect example for me was uh I was in a flea market, another flea market, and there was a guy selling he was selling burn games and that was before I had a CD burner he saw it for 10 bucks a piece and they didn't need a boot disc so they were self-booting right from the Dreamcast menu and one of the games that he had was Headhunter Headhunter only came out in Europe uh, okay Dreamcast. it got ported to the PlayStation 2 later it's like an action adventure like shooting game almost like a, it's like Metal Gear Solid if Metal Gear Solid was shittier and and but it was cool because it like had it it was like the precursor to like a gta clone because you actually rode around the city and went from mission to mission it was very generic but you had to you were a bounty hunter and so you had to develop like you had to go through different training and get bounty hunter licenses and everything but anyway i'm going but probably a game that you'd never have the opportunity to play unless it was in that state correct um, because back then it wasn't like now where you're you you got your news months and years ahead of time we were like, oh man, I'm going to see a PlayStation 2 port eventually. I didn't know that. And I wasn't sure if I was going to get one or not. So this guy had a bunch of TVs everywhere and everything. And then he finally explained to me, I was like, oh, cool. How much are your, how much are your import games? And he was like 10 bucks. And I'm like, Bleh. why are they 10 bucks a piece? And he was like, oh, because I have a buddy of mine who burns them. And I was like, okay, so what do I have to do to my Dreamcast? And he was like, nothing. Give me $10 and I'll show you how it works. And so I gave him 10 bucks and he was like, just pop it in your Dreamcast and play. And once I found out about that, I probably spent like a hundred bucks there. 
and just buying all these different games that, you know, one, I wouldn't get, or B, that I wanted to get, but they were too expensive at the time. So even American games and stuff. And then once I found out how to do it my own, it was, that was all she wrote. Yeah, man, the CDR quality was so bad back then. Oh, yeah. What was it? it? Shenmue, if you wanted it completely, because that was the thing, too, was that a GD-ROM is bigger than a CD-ROM. So if you if you burned it, it was compressed. So if you wanted like Shenmue, the full entire experience, instead of it being on three discs, it was like on like six discs. Yep. Well, I think before we wrap this up, I want to get to the brighter side of things that the Dreamcast obviously died, but mm-hmm. my opinion and probably a lot of people's that it gave birth to Xbox succeeding. And the OG Xbox became the Dreamcast too. Exactly. Because um, you had Peter yeah. Moore, that was part of Dreamcast. He came on board with Xbox. A lot of those first-party games became Xbox games. So, for example, Shenmue 2. Shenmue 2, that you could actually buy it here, but you were actually buying the European version. Do you remember that? Like, if you bought it at a GameStop or something, they would give you a boot disc with it? Yep. So, that was the way to get it here but you still had to do the old boot disc way of doing it. Then, like you said, Peter Moore was really big into the Dreamcast, and he was like, this is an untapped market that people can use. So Shenmue 2 became an Xbox exclusive, and that was the first time you actually got an English voice track with it. Like English voice acting and everything, and the full port was done for the Xbox. And it goes to show you how far things have came, because, you know, at that point, because on Dreamcast it was four GD-ROMs, and on Xbox it was one DVD. Yep. So, yeah, it became all everything that, you know, outside of certain niche games, most of the games that ha- had ports got ported to the Dreamcast in some way, shape, or form, or got sequels, like Jet Set Radio. Yeah, it was the, that was the first Xbox that had a bundled-in game. It was a double disc of Sega GT and Jet Set Radio Future. Yep. Yeah, and it, it, I just remember buying and that was the thing, too. I remember buying an OG Xbox and sitting it later on in my because i i sold my dreamcast to get a gamecube because i wanted to play the remake of resident evil and then i remember later on in life buying a dreamcast and setting it next to the old g xbox and it's like holy shit this thing's like four (laughs) four fucking dreamcast wide it's so big it's like 13 pounds or something like that 20 gig hard drive though Oh, yeah. Is it 20 gigs? I never knew that was 20 gigs. I just knew it was some astronomical amount of... Well, it was 20 gig, but they used the weird... Block system. Yeah. I never never filled it up, so, I mean, that's... that's Yeah, you can throw your music on it. Right. But, yeah, um, I I don't think the Xbox would have succeeded if they didn't have Sega helping them. Yep. I, I agree. And it's and, completely and, changed kind of the landscape. Yeah. And Sega, and what was good was is that Sega didn't necessarily die. They just dropped out of the hardware market. And then they became a publisher for all consoles. So that's how we got all of our... And then they used a lot of Evergreen games to port... You know, by Evergreen, I mean, they've already made their money. So all they're doing is just spending money on the port. And, I mean, Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 got ported to the GameCube. They got HD versions ported to the PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. Um, Power Stone got ported to the PSP. Crazy Taxi got ported onto multiple systems. Crazy Taxi 3 came out exclusively for the original Xbox. Jet Set Radio Future came out uh, exclusively for the Xbox. So, and, they, and 
what's great is is that you know even though sega is not a hardware developer now they're still a really they had their dark ages after that that you can tell that they were in a rut and they still are in a rut with sonic and i will fucking argue that all the time mm-hmm. um and, but you know games like i've always talked about before and have a fucking boner for it is yakuza yakuza is definitely one of those games where you there sega is just like okay this is our team they know what they're making regardless of how weird it is we're gonna let them still make this game and yakuza still gives me the vibe of like this game would have if this game was released on the dreamcast instead of shenmue it still would have been fucking just as cool as shenmue was Mm -hmm. and then seeing fucking shenmue 3 coming out in november and you know i know toast doesn't have the nostalgia glasses like you and i do but it's still it's cool as shit seeing that you know there's still love for it 20 years later a lot of damn love based on that kickstarter yeah yeah i mean what was it the fastest funded kickstarter for a video game ever yeah you know to the point where your biggest competitor got involved and said if you can come up with this money we'll come up with the rest it's like it's incredible and then we talk about the dreamcast dying but when did you when was the last game made for the dreamcast like the last actually 2015 is what i picked up that's just insane yeah so 2015 there's still games being put out for just not in the official sense of the word but they're still being published for it. Um, there's a guy online named Dan Kunz, and that man does the Lord's work in terms of hardware modifications because he released this hardwire called a DC HDMI mod, and him and his colleague actually built a, a Dreamcast mod that is hardwired into the actual... It goes through the video processor of the actual Dreamcast. And it's soldered in and everything. You can pay to have it done, or you can have somebody, if you're really good with a soldering iron, you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like $150 for the kit. But by time you're end, by time the end of it, right underneath the component port is a little tiny micro HDMI out. And you can plug it in. It's HDMI ready. It does a native 480p, so the native true video signal. Yep. Because it's being right from the video processor on the Dreamcast. And I was at too many games this past uh, this past summer, and I actually met him. Super nice guy. His colleague, I, his name slips my mind, but he was super nice. He actually developed all the firmware for it because it has a bunch of firmware tucked into it, so you can actually change different settings, add scan lines and stuff like that. But it's all running off of a stock Dreamcast or quote-unquote stock Dreamcast. It doesn't have any kind of thing sticking out of it or anything. It's just a little HDMI plug that you have it That's soldered amazing. in. Yeah, it's and it's cool because people like him and people like us are actually trying to, you know, people hear about the dreamcast it's just you know talking about it like this is trying to keep this stuff alive because a lot of these games unfortunately didn't get they got ports but it's just like now they got ports but they're trapped on earlier consoles or they're never you know hopefully they'll see ports we may never see ports like skies of arcadia yeah yeah so there's a good chance i mean it's yeah. i mean christ shamu one and two didn't get a port because the only reason why they got ports for hd recently was because of shamu three <laughs> exactly <laughs> which i'm happy about don't get me wrong but it's still one of those things where you know that's where sometimes with with sega i'm like if you would just upscale this shit and release it digitally even a guy like me who owns physical games will fucking buy this well that's that's the that's the thing that kills me with sega is they have all these titles and like shenmue they could have just done a remaster of one and two and that would have probably generated enough to start funding on three you would think so, but what what's crazy to me is that I don't even know, because I don't think Sega's really doing three. 
No, I don't think Sega not. has. They, yeah, it's they so, gave it away, but uh, right. So Sega is pretty much doing like a cash grab because they're like, oh shit, Shenmue three is popular. Better release Shenmue one and two in HD. And it's like you bitch. Like, <laughs> where was this shit fifteen years ago? Yeah, and you and you look at the madness. Like we looked over the numbers of nine million consoles sold. If anybody knows much about consoles, they usually don't generate any revenue. It's a no. software sale. But well, actually, the the Dreamcast because I was reading here earlier, uh-huh. the Dreamcast uh, actually did do kind of well with that because um, the Dreamcast was designed to reduce costs with off the shelf components. Oh, interesting. So they use, and I think that was the reason why it was so easy to port like arcade stuff because it uses like a lot of a similar CPU and GPU. Like they already had them ready to go, and so it was. But there was a lot of stuff that was... There was a lot of problems with it. I mean, Japan wasn't a really big fan of it because they got fucking burned with the Saturn. Yeah. <laughs> and, and over here was the same thing. I mean, the Saturn was one of the things that was one of the first problems that you had because the Saturn came out and that thing came out like a fucking hot shit on a cold day. And um, <laughs> and it just it didn't fucking do anything. It just... It came out. It was more expensive than the PlayStation People saw it and they were like, "Here's the next." And then people got burned by the 32x. The 32x oh, came shit. out first, yeah. and that piece of shit. And then it was like, "Oh, by the way, did you guys like paying all that money for the 32x?" Well, no, we didn't really like it. Oh, cool. Here's the fucking Saturn. That's way more than the PlayStation. And it was just like, "Fuck you." <laughs> yeah. And then the Dreamcast. Dreamcast had to deal with all that bullshit, and then here we are. Yeah, and Dreamcast saw that love units. I think the original budget for Shenmue was forty-two million, something like that. It was something, and and I think I I think the second one was in the seventies. Yeah, because I remember I remember that that was actually one of the selling points of the game. It was like the the, yeah, it was the most. What was crazy to me was what was the Shenmue? Somebody was like, "This is the most expensive game ever made, but yet it can be beaten like eight hours." Yeah, (laughs) you're just like, you're like, what the fuck. Man. And yeah, it's and and I can understand why Sega probably didn't want to touch Shenmue three because Shenmue three is a very niche game. Or Shenmue is going to be is a very niche game in general. And then also Sega kind of moved on with the Yakuza series because they pretty much took out everything that was sort of you know the realism and stuff like that, like grabbing stuff and being able to look at it. Yeah, that's not there. But they added all the stuff that people wanted was like the exploration, the fighting, you know, talking to people and figuring out stuff. So. Like all the RPG aspects are there, but they just took out some of the, some of the more slice of life filler. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you you look at one and two. One and two, I mean, were locked between the Dreamcast and the Xbox at that time. So how yeah. it'd be impossible for them to gauge what their demand was for it. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I mean, what was cool was at least with the original with Shenmue two for the Xbox, like the first print copies came with a a DVD that was the movie of the first game. But it still sucked because, I mean, like you said, if you didn't have a Dreamcast, you were watching a movie of the first game, and you're looking at it and being like, oh, well, that's cool. I would actually like to play that game. But then you had to go track down a Dreamcast, which is a pain in the ass. <laughs> yep. But, yeah, I mean, is the PlayStation 2, once, it, especially once the PlayStation 2 really got away from its launch titles and started putting out better games, it was just like, it was like, god damn it. Well, you know, the Dreamcast is going to collect us for a little while, and I'm going to sit there and play my PlayStation 2. Yeah. Well, I think that was a good discussion. Um, yeah. Obviously, 
holds a strong place in a Bob and I's heart. I still consider it my favorite console to this day. Yeah, it was uh, a <laughs> and yeah, it's it, I I have mine outside of modifications. I still have mine tricked out, so mine actually has like a smoke black case on it. It's all clear. Oh man, I wanted one of those import shells so bad. Yeah, I have I have one of the import shells. I have. I have, you know, mine's all black and smoke black. I still have, hold on, I still have quite a number of games for it. I think I have close to 70 games for it that are sitting on my shelf. And they're all, you know, I don't have any burn games for it. Um, let's see, 67. I have 67 games for my Dreamcast. And I still buy Dreamcast games to this day unless I want something. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's cool. Well, I hope yeah. uh, everybody kind of enjoyed this special episode. We'll... We'll look at times down the road that we can fill these in, because, as you guys know, Toast, he doesn't like this shit. <laughs> no, Toast was, Toast was 10 when this shit launched, and what was it, quote-unquote, I was still outside playing when the game, when the Dreamcast came out. <laughs> yep, and for all you listeners, Bob, where can they find us? They can find us at on Instagram and Twitter, at Complete Geeks. Where can they find you? They can find me at DammitBob1984. Okay, and you can find me at Organic Avenger 3. And once again, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much. See See you next time. Thank you.